The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 28 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined once again by Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hi, Kevin. Good morning, Chris. Nice to talk to you again. And aren't we having some fun? Wasn't that a great episode last week with Simon Zucchiki dispensing his wisdom? It was really enjoyable. Yeah, we've had some great feedback in the Facebook Facebook community from our members. And it was very kind of Simon as well to offer that free entry to a pin event for anyone listening. So if you didn't catch last week's episode, definitely do go back and check that one out. So Kevin, we're, we're continuing with the property pillar this week and we're diving in now. We're starting to look at some of the different strategies that sit within or sit under that property pillar. And today we're going to be focusing on HMOs. People may have a couple of different ways of describing HMOs, but Kevin, would you like to kind of give your version of really what an HMO is? Sure. Well, you know, whatever label you use, whether it's, you know, home for multiple occupancy or home for multiple occupation, um, you say potato, I say potato. It's, there's no legal definition here. What we're really saying is, is the fundamental difference between taking a piece of property and creating value from it through the renting of rooms and space in in the property uh, compared to renting the whole family, uh, sorry, the whole property out to a family on an assured short-haul tenancy agreement. So it's just a way of creating higher levels of cash flow. Uh, for, For many people, it's an accelerated way of being able to build their wealth because the evidence is when the HMO portfolio building process works compared to the tradition of the buy-to-let portfolio. It helps people create wealth so much more quickly, so much more systematically, and easier to run as a business because you can you know you can make it really quite uh, formulaic. Not that everything is a cookie cutter, but you know you can create a model that is very specific to your tenant type very specific to what experience you want to bring and more of that from our contributors. Uh, So it's a really, really interesting way. And I would say that probably in property, while it's got some challenges right now, and some of our speakers will talk about the challenges uh, coming and uh, that are already here with government intervention and HMOs, I think uh, what we are still seeing, though, is, and you know, I can at least count possibly 150 of uh, my clients who are completely financially independent through the use primarily of the HMO strategy. So it's definitely one to really, really wrestle with and dive deep into and try and uh, iron out any misconceptions or misunderstandings because there's lots of those around. And why don't we start with that? uh, some of those thoughts now? Yeah, and um, just to touch on Kevin, HMOs are, are nothing new and some people maybe might refer to them as multi-lets. And would you say that it's become even more popular with recent years, just the, the shortage of, of property space that exists in the UK and and having to multi-purpose, you know, some of the bigger properties that are out there just to fit more people in. And that's perhaps a problem that's only going to get worse or the opportunity grow bigger, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, look, we're, even Simon was talking last week, you know, the, the big demographics are 
we need more space and you know it's not unusual now with uh in places in europe where there's a high propensity of, of people to rent um and there are definitely communities within the uk rental types you know where their natural place in their lifetime is they only want property for a shortish period of time so to to bring to life to enliven properties which perhaps you know would be uh, wasted in terms of space you know five bedroom houses with three people in it and so on you know there's a big opportunity now the opportunity of course has been spotted by many and councils have a, an issue with you know something called article 4 and there's definitely limitations and the government intervention has, has made limitations which is why you know some people have moved to different strategies which will cover on different different episodes like service accommodation but there's still always going to be a demand for people particularly um let's let's take some of the key uh, tenant types do you want me to describe those chris mm please do all right well you know the most popular one and the one that people will obviously resonate with if uh, like me and i'm an old guy now but you know i still went to university and for for the most part you know i occupied properties that were owned by somebody else and I wouldn't say they were the best accommodation, but they accommodated lots of uh, young people who will put up with that. And, of course, by maximizing the use of that space, then there was a high level of cash flow. So, you know, that's a real big win as far as the student market is concerned. So students are a key market in the multi-let space. And, of course, like any tenant type, you've got to wrestle with the pros and the cons. So the big pro with students is, you know, they're, relatively easy to identify you know where the university and college towns are some people actually specialize in colleges and small colleges so they don't end up competing with universities and more of that in the risks i suppose in this pros and cons discussion you've also got the issue of increasingly mums and dads are guaranteeing the rent you know so if the students don't pay mums and dads do and that's a good thing and because they tend to occupy the property from you know point a to point b you don't really get any voids so you know there's good positive cash flow good security good wins uh but you know some negatives that go along with that as always uh one of those is it's not unusual is it to hear that they need more maintenance you know people don't tend to look after things as well uh there's some much evidence about that if you want to get into the market and you're looking for student accommodation, but something goes wrong on a purchase, which I've seen happen before, unfortunately, where people you know, buy a property with the expectation of getting it ready for that uh, term time, you know, that readiness for when the students are signing up, and they miss that. And if you miss that and you're gearing up specifically for student market, you know, you could completely devastate your, your cash flow. So you really got to be on the ball and know what you're doing. Um, but that's a, a rich market that I think many people are going for. The other markets, uh, Chris, would be, you know, professional people. I suppose the students who graduate and then they move on, they're not ready yet. They're not ready to settle down and, and build a family and build homes and things for themselves. But they're certainly looking for higher quality accommodation. And some of our clients are specializing in this. Uh, one in particular is, you know, specialising in providing accommodation for young doctors because from his experience, and he's a doctor himself, 
hated the quality of the accommodation and his view is the brightest minds and those people making great contributions to society get the worst accommodation. Why is that? And he's trying to create a business that changes that and provides really high quality accommodation, but aims specifically at uh, young doctors. And because he's a doctor himself, he's using his the leverage of his own relationships and his own intellect to maximize that. So that's another point. You know, you have to look at what's most natural and logical for you to be looking at if you're thinking about HMOs. And, and for our doctor client there, that's a that's a perfect fit. For others, and we'll hear from uh, Andy, who will be speaking later about the young professionals, you know, which is a transient market, but they expect higher things. You know, they're being paid, they're getting well paid, and they want somewhere to live, but a sense of belonging, a sense of almost like a home away from home. You know, they want to feel on their own. So it's it's almost, I think he refers to them as housemates, you know. So there's a whole language of how to do that. And that's the young professional market. And, you know, you need to tie into, well, where are the big employers that would serve your uh, tenant type? The, equally, there are blue collar workers, you know, so a large number of our clients have got properties where they aim specifically you know, towards factory type workers or other type workers where, you know, they're, they're living in and that, that sort of accommodation. And again, it's just slightly different market, slightly different locations, slightly different features and benefits that are needed and looked for by these people. But, you know, these are all the key ones. And then you get really specialist and really niche. And of course, wealth building is, is all about looking for your niche if you can find one. And you'll also hear from, one of our clients, Kevin, who his his niche is, you know, very very specific, and that's what he would call supported living, you know, which you could also refer to as those people who've got certain special needs in life, where whether it's, you know, adults needing certain things or or children who need protecting. There's there's very specific collaborations between landlords and housing associations or councils and the public sector, and that can work as well. So when you think about HMO, it's a multi, multi, it's a kaleidoscope of opportunity. It isn't one single thing. And, you know, it isn't too much of a differential then when you look at service accommodation. That's just the same thing. That's almost renting rooms, but instead of renting them long-term rooms, you're renting rooms for much shorter terms typically, and probably not in this podcast, but maybe the next one, Chris, we can – interview and bring in some of our clients and uh, members who are doing that so is that a good overview i think so yeah and i liked the fact that you you know you mentioned there as entrepreneurs we need to be creative we need to constantly be looking for the the niches the opportunities and also your reference there that your portfolio you should look at that as a business right so we talk about the different pillars and we're focusing on property now but your HMO portfolio is a business in itself, right? Yes, everything should be regarded as a business. And I think it's probably a good idea that theme of creativity and business might be worthwhile having a listen to our good friend uh, Kevin McDonald, who's a very outside-of-the-box thinker. And while he doesn't talk specifically, Chris, about HMOs in particular, uh, one of the factors for many people thinking about HMOs is they think, well, maybe – you know, um, this is more expensive because I'm looking for bigger properties. I need more funding. I think Kevin speaks very loudly and proudly of, of how you can think outside the box 
and be able to find access even into the HMO market with, with very little money. It's probably worthwhile listening to that and then uh, diving a little bit more into those people who are doing it with more traditional funding. Would that work? Yeah, I think so. I think Kevin definitely sets it up before we really go into the, the different aspects of HMO. So yeah, let's head on over to Kevin McDonald now. Okay, so I'm with Wealth Builders client Kevin McDonald. How are you, Kevin? Hi, all good. Thank you. Now, Kevin, I know you've written a book on no money down, and we've been talking to other members of the Wealth Builders community about specific strategies. But would you mind just sharing a bit more about the strategy of no money down? Yeah, so no money down for me, it's not actually a strategy. It's more about how you deliver the strategy, because what what I, I've been in property for 17-ish years now, and one of the biggest challenges I always have had was I don't have the money. I kind of knew what I wanted to do. So, and most people know what they want to do. And that, what I mean by that is the strategy. So single let, HMO, commercial conversion, um, buy to flip, whatever it may be. But the common problem that everybody has is knowing what they want to do, but not having the money to implement what they want to do. And no money down is, for me, is not a strategy, but it's how you deliver the strategy. Uh, because even if you've got no money and people might be listening to this thinking, I don't have any money to get started in property, but actually people with money, even if you've got a quarter of a million pounds, you don't have enough money to build maybe the, you know, the 40, 50, 100 property portfolio that you might be aiming to build. What, what a quarter of a million pounds generally does is get you started. It might buy you four or five properties and you'll end up with four or five properties and a job. But to build that large scalable business, you need to start thinking more creatively. And, the, and no money down is about being able to secure any property deal using little or none of your own funds. And um, whether that be single lets, HMOs, whatever it may be, it's, it's getting enough properties to create cash flow. Mm. So obviously, at Wealth Builders, we look at the seven pillars. Are there any of the other pillars that, that can help with this, this, this concept of no money down? Every every pillar of, of the Wealth Builders Seven Pillars helps around no money down because it's more about a way of thinking. Um, for instance, you said I'm, I'm a, a Wealth Builders a, a client. Um, one of the things I did is I was sitting on a pension pot from my job and I didn't re- I, was, I thought I had no money. I didn't realize I could release my money. And I, I've got a SaaS pot now and I use that to fund some property deals. But also other people have SaaS pots. So other people's money you could if you're sitting there listening to this at the moment thinking well I, I can't i don't have a pension pot i don't have a SaaS pot um or i don't have a big enough pot other people do there's more money in the world today than there's ever been so joint venture with other people use other people's pension pots to build your portfolio there's that one no money down strategy as i would call it a one no money down method but there's many other ways as well there's loads of different things to do but all the pillars of the of the the seven pillars um, are part of the concept of no money down. Mm. And of course, we we also introduced the Wheel of Wealth concept, which always begins with education. So understanding and obviously reading books like yourself and, and coming to some of the events that you speak at and do training at, Kevin, is, is the education aspect, is learning what's possible and then having the right connections and support around you to help facilitate that. Um, why do you see that as so important for someone who maybe is at the beginning and, and doesn't have the uh, money? It's it's critical because you don't know what you don't know. And when I started in property, I thought you had to buy a house, put down a deposit, um, and then you know get some rental income from it. And and I, I see so many people. I mentioned about starting with maybe a couple of hundred grand of money, 
the best thing that ever happened to me was I, I, I lost £135,000 in Eastern Europe and I had not just no money, but I had negative money. So I had to start thinking differently about how I'd build my, my portfolio because I was starting with nothing. But people that start with, say, a quarter of a million pounds, what they do is they, they take their life savings and they put it into property to try and get back out a couple of grand a month. And they spend the rest of their lives getting back what they started with. And the whole point of property isn't to put your life savings in, it's to get money out. So um, using creative strategies helps you actually make money from property instead of putting your life savings in and having to think that you, it's about thinking differently and not not just thinking one dimensional, which is I've got to save up a deposit. I mean, if you're thinking of, of exchanging your time for money in a job, saving up a deposit to buy a house and then sit, do the exact same thing to save the next deposit and the next deposit. It's just too slow. You, your life will be over before you've got five houses. The, the only way to build that big enough business, whether it be in SA, whether it be in HMOs, whether it be in commercial, whatever it may be, single lets, the only way to do it is to think differently, is to think creatively and to use no money down techniques and to use other people's money, to use other people's property. And a lot of people see no money down as other people's money, as just joint ventures. But actually, it's not joint ventures. It's um, being creative or a joint venture and looking at it differently, because quite often people think a joint venture has to be borrowing money from another investor. But what about just joint venturing with the homeowner of a house? Because quite often the, the homeowner of the house, the reason they're selling is because they don't have maybe money to do a refurb or something. You could joint venture with the homeowner and refurbish their houses and the two of you sell it together. So there's, there's loads of creative ways that you can, that's an assisted sale, but there's loads of creative ways that you can think about and do property deals that benefit you and the homeowner. So, yeah, there's normally down the for me is the only way to do any of the strategies you want to do. So if people are listening and thinking, um, you know, I know what I want to do, but I'm struggling to actually get started. That's because the thing that's missing is the funding and the, the concept of no money down is what helps you fund any property deal. Fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing that with us today, Kevin. No problem. Okay, so how would you assess the key points there that Kevin raised? Well, I think it's obvious that, you know, Kevin is a very clear thinker on being creative and thinking outside the box. And I think he made a really great point, which is one of the benefits of HMO, which is the traditional buy-to-let portfolio. You know, when you work out the cash flow, probably it's an important point, Chris, just to go back to the overall well-building principles that whatever strategy you use, you know, you have to work out, let's say it's com you're comparing HMOs to buy-to-let. You know, you'd look at, well, how many buy-to-let properties on an assured short-haul tenancy property with your assumed uh, occupation rate or void rate, with your assumed return, with your assumed interest rate. So you've got to build in all of these things of your costs to run these uh, any kind of property strategy. And you work out how many. So let's say the average, and I'll just make some numbers up, Chris. If the average buy-to-let yielded you £500 a month net and you had an objective of reaching you know, £10,000 per month net as your figure for complete financial independence, then you can work out how many uh, buy-to-let properties you need because it would be 20. And, and if you then flip that and say, well, okay, if I do the numbers and what's the net-net position on 
you know, a well-managed, well-structured, well-tenanted, same, you know, you do the same thing, do the same variables, which means you really have to know the numbers, which is the due diligence stage in uh, the, in the, when you're accumulating property, you've got to do the due diligence on the cost. And then, of course, you've got to test it in real time afterwards to make sure the assumptions you made were real. And and if, let's just say for the sake of an argument, you know, the the value of an average HMO was £1,000 a month, then you need half the number. And, you know, that would mean potentially you could do it in half the time putting aside the issue of funding. And while it's always easy to say that funding is no object, it's clearly funding has to be in place, but there are so many creative ways to achieve funding and joint ventures between people lending and learning and all sorts of other ways that joint venture funding and funding can be raised we know this because we raise millions then we know that the only lack of resources is the resourcefulness of individuals to think outside the box so i think kevin made some great great points um that it can be quicker if you leverage other people's money rather than wait to build your own and similarly if you leverage higher yielding strategies but of course when you think about the strategy you've got to think about the work and and some people mistakenly believe and they say well i would rather do bad select because it's passive and i don't want to do hmo because it's active well all wealth needs to be managed like all property needs to be managed otherwise the property left alone would dilapidate so there is no such thing as passive income so let's dispel that myth right now chris it's not passive it needs to be managed and the skill is understanding the management that needs to be done to make it work at the highest level and then work out whether you want to do the management or delegate the management. But either way, you've got the choice and you can deal with it in the way that you want to. So so I think Kevin makes some great points there. And, and maybe as we hear from uh, three people who are building their wealth in HMOs and have done very well, might be worth hearing them and debriefing them, Chris. Yeah, I think so. So let's head on over to our first guest, and uh, that's Andy Bedwell. Okay, so I'm with Andy Bedwell. Welcome to Wealth Talk, Andy. Thank you very much. Now, Andy, I know you've been focusing on HMOs, so would you mind sharing with our listeners why you decided on that strategy in particular? Yeah, sure. Um, so my, I guess the bulk of my career background has been in corporate, so I was looking for a way of getting out of corporate life. Um about eight years ago, probably eight, nine years ago now, we started just looking at ways we could do that. And we were looking at um, ways that we could um, build a business that didn't involve us having to be actively involved with it, you know, all day, every day. So basically to, to get off the clock. Um, and we just started looking at a range of franchising options. Actually, we started working with uh, Platinum Property Partners to to, uh, to start on our HMO journey um, and, and really sort of carried on that journey for eight years. So it was it was largely a play out of corporate and then looking for a way to get the right business model to, to fit what we wanted to do. Great. And is there a particular market that you aim for with your tenants? Yeah, so we try and be um, at the top end of the market that we're in. So our, our particular business is, is sort of based in Oxfordshire and we, we're we trying to target largely sort of 25 to 35-year-old young professionals. You know, typically in our area, it's people that might work in motorsport or people that work in some of the high-end retail outlets. Um, and yeah, we're, we're trying to provide a, a sort of all-inclusive, hands-off service for them so they get you know, really good responsiveness and a, a very nice house. And um, you know, we take care of all the pain for them. So it's very much top end of the market. And, uh, and, try and we try and style the houses and invest the houses to, to hit that. Mm. And what are some of the advantages that you see of, of using the HMO strategy over perhaps you know, typical buy-to-lets or, or some of the other strategies out there? 
Um, we did a lot of work on buy to lets originally. We, we the very first property I bought actually was a buy to let, and we ran it back in this was back in two thousand eight as a as a service department. This was sort of pre Airbnb and, and and all that sort of um, that, that setup. So when we did it, we found it was you know reasonably high touch and didn't really get great returns. I think when we when we started to look at the HMO model. Uh, and we started to look, um, you know, again, Platinum were very useful in helping us to set that up. Um, when we started to work through uh, through the numbers, it was pretty self-evident, actually, that it was a, you know, it was probably the, the, one of the better returns that were available. Um, albeit it's, you know, it's not without work and, you know, you, you certainly are running a business with doing them. It's not as straightforward as a single buy to let. Um, but, you know, for the work, you get uh, you get a better reward. Mm. And I imagine that, you know, systems are important with HMOs. As you say, there's a lot more work. So is it really important to have the systems in place early? Um, I don't know about full all singing, all dancing systems. We do run an operating system. Um, and with our business partners, actually, they use a slightly different one. But you know, we do have um, two you know, professional letting systems operating. Certainly in the early days, though, we were, we were, we were doing it through spreadsheets initially. Uh, I think the main thing that's, that's changed over the eight years is it's, you know, there's much more now around compliance. Um, obviously, licensing's um, ubiquitous now. It wasn't when we started in our area. Um, so there's a lot more you have to do to make sure the houses are safe and legal and you know, data protection and things like that. So you cover all the bases. So that, that world is more complex. And it's certainly important to, you know, to, to make sure you know, know the ground before you just dabble into it. Mm. And is there anything that you do uniquely um, with your HMOs, um, would you say, Andy, to differentiate yourself from from the market? Um, I think yeah, we we try and be at the top end of the market in the area we're in. We we try and build a, a community. So um, you know, with our we have a lettings manager that works for us, and and so clients or our housemates, as we call them, you know, have a connection with us and a connection with our lettings manager that's, that's more personal, maybe. So, you know, we run social nights, we get people together, uh, we, we we proactively will connect somebody in the area who's just moved in with, with somebody else in one of our houses who, who might also be looking to, to meet up with folk. So we try and get to know our, our people as individuals and, and make them fit into the, or help them fit into the community as well as uh, into the house. And that might involve connecting them with other housemates in other houses. Um, whether that's unique, I don't know. I mean, I think it's from our point of view, we try and do as much as we possibly can do to get to get the best experience for the housemates. Mm. And your shared living space, I know, has now led on to a, a, a new business for you as well, hasn't it? Yeah, sure. So we um, we've done. I've done sort of. We've got nine HMOs running in the residential side, uh, and about three years ago, I started looking then more into commercial property as well. So we've started two or three years ago a, a commercial property business that does uh, shared office, uh, serviced offices and co-working. So that's got uh, one co-working site and two shared two serviced offices now that are, that are up and running. Yeah, fantastic. And how do you see the future of the HMO market, Andy? Um, I mean, certainly it's got tighter legislatively and you know, the tax environment's changed. Um, I think there'll always be a market for it. I, I, I suspect if you look sort of 10 years down the track, some of the things that might happen to, to high-end HMOs could be similar to what's happened in the student market where there's some of the bigger players come into town and, and invest heavily in, in big buildings. So I think there's definitely a, um, you know, there will be new players coming in the market doing bigger buildings. I, I suspect, yeah, there'll still always be a market for the sort of things that we're doing. Um, I think when you get to, you know, the lower end of the market, certainly licensing and things like that will, will hopefully shake out some of the, some of the, you know, the, some of the houses that get bad press. Um, so I think the market overall will change. There'll be, there'll be stretch in terms of volume with some big players coming in. I think some of the, um, some of the, some of the lower end hopefully will clean itself up and, and, and the middle, 
you know, there'll always be a market for. I think people are in the short term, people are moving into it to get out of single buy to lets because the returns are, are getting squeezed by the new tax situation. Um, medium term, whether those people will stay in the market when they work out some of the complexity of running it, I don't know, to be honest. Well, you know, time will have to tell on that. Yeah, great. Thanks for sharing with us today, Andy. Really appreciate it. No problem at all. Okay, so I'm with Wealth Builders member Chris Payton. Welcome to Wealth Talk, Chris. Hi there. You've been focusing on the property pillar for a number of years now, and more recently, HMOs. Why yeah. did you decide to focus on HMOs in particular? Um, primarily because of the um, the income generation that HMOs can provide. Um, yeah, and also the the type of product you can deliver as well is is something that always interested me. Yeah, and do you have a particular market, like a tenant that you look to um, cater for? Yeah, so we're professional, um, solely professional, um, and we're based in Newcastle. Um, and we have had um, a student portfolio as well, but um, haven't pivoted uh, just recently. Um, we've um, sold all of those student properties off and concentrating solely on professional. Okay. And, um, and what are some of the differences that, that you see in the way that you operate your HMOs for those different markets? Um, the product is almost identical. Uh, it's the service that you provide is different. Um, I feel that because we self-manage, I feel that the, the service you provide with professionals um, is a lot more, I suppose, it's hands-off to a degree, where the service that you provide with students, you, you are a lot more involved and because you, you are effectively um, helping educate them in the world as well. Sometimes it's the first time they've lived away from home, so it's quite involving at times. Mm. And in order to kind of stand out from the crowd, shall we say, is there something that mm -hmm. you do uniquely with your HMOs, would you say, Chris? Um, we've always went down the all on suite route. So since we entered the market, we've always went down that route. Um, so I think that combined with the, the, the aesthetic of the building, it's quite unique. Um, the style that we've developed internally and, um, and the service that we, uh, we, we back that product up with as well is, um, is quite unique. And I think we're, we're, we're pretty good at that. Mm. Now, how many years have you been actually active in, in the HMO market now, Chris? Well, I bought my first one in 2005 um, when I was uh, going into university, chose to live on my own as opposed to in, in the halls, and then I renovated that, completed that in 2007, spent all my student loan on it, um, and most of my time because I'm quite hands-on. I, I come from a construction background, so that, uh, that helped. Uh, moved back home, much of my parents' annoyance. So 2007 was my first one, but I didn't acquire a further one until 2013. Uh huh. And would you do something differently now, looking back and the experience that you've had? Um. Yes. If I if I could have went back to 2007, I would have been certainly buying a lot more. Um. Just before the recession, anyway. Uh. I think with regards to um, 2013 onwards, um, I would have been a lot more systemized from the start. I would have, um, grown a team because it was from day one, it was me and me only. I was the property manager, the builder and the maintenance contractor. So I would have definitely done that. And I think that would allow me to scale faster. Mm. And how do you see the future of the HMO market now? 
Um, so there's obviously a lot more competition within the market in terms of operators. Um, I think you have to be slightly more creative in your product. I think that having a great product um, isn't necessarily always the the most secure way of, of doing it either. I think in terms of you've got to make the asset um, as safe and secure as possible. And I think backing that up with a service as well. I mean, we manage in-house for this reason, but backing up a great product with a great service, um, I think is vital. And part of that service, I think experience led. Um, I think when you look at the, the millennials and, and the generation Z, I think um, you need to, part of their life revolves around experience. And I think you need to involve an element of that within your within your product. Brilliant. Thanks so much for sharing with us today, Chris. No problem. Thank you. Hey, so I'm with Wealth Builders client, Kevin Kinsella. Welcome to Wealth Talk, Kevin. Hi, Chris. How are you? Very, very good today. Thank you. So, Kevin, I know you've been working on the property pillar for a number of years and, and specifically in a, a very niche area of, of HMOs. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about that strategy with our listeners? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, we actually operate within the uh, supported living um, uh, section of uh, HMOs, um, specifically with um, homeless. Um, homeless is quite an encompassing uh, label shall we say but um often people have uh, drug issues and alcohol issues um or are fleeing domestic violence um we've currently got uh, 70 beds but we're looking to probably um double that within a year um uh, what, what we do is we um uh, uh, work with the housing association uh, to gain what's called um exempt status what that actually means is we are exempt from the housing benefit cap um, we did try and run these properties within the uh, framework of the council and the housing benefit cap, but uh, you can't really staff the properties and you can't really, um, it, you know, you help the, the people as much as you can without staff. So um, we, we think we found the formula and we're, we're really pleased to be able to, um, you know, push this thing forward. Yeah, no, that's really good, Kevin. And, and what was it initially that, that made you decide to focus on this market in particular? Um it was it was it was twofold, obviously, um, to help people, and and, and we've got a, a fantastic reputation with um, a lot of local authorities, police, and crisis. Um, we 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 are, we are known as a very very good supplier, um, but but it's it's great doing good things, but they've got to be um, repeatable. So we've we've got the business side of it right as well. We've got uh, currently around about ten staff, um, as I said, seventy beds spread over four buildings uh, we are also looking at getting uh, step down facilities so it's it's twofold really it's it, it is a business and i think it has to be a business otherwise you're not really um you know going to be able to help anybody and uh, i'd probably end up being one of my own clients so um you know so yeah. that's 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 you know that's yeah. probably the, the the drive on 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 both things it's it is a good feeling you know actually being able to um be very proud of what you do as well mm. And what do you feel are some of the benefits of the HMO strategy over some of the other more traditional, um, you know, uh, property investing strategies? Um, I've I, my first HMO I actually accidentally bought in 1995, um, and it, it was attached to another business that I was running at the time. 
Um, so I've kind of been in in the market for quite a long time. Um, I found that particular property to be quite difficult to run uh, because it, it, it was remote. There was a lot of admin to do. Um, whereas with the tenant group I'm, I'm with at the moment, the, they, they are an awful lot more challenging. But the fact we're 24-7, have staff on site, issues don't escalate, you know, and we, and we, can, we can sort out uh, things very, very quickly. You know, we're not an absentee landlord, which is some of the um, lower-end HMOs I have had in the past, um, where you're not on site, can be extremely problematic. Um, so, yeah, HMOs are a great strategy for cash flow, but you've really, really got to keep on top of them. Mm. So I think we've found our niche here. Yeah. And how do you see the future of the HMO market, Kevin? Do you see this as a growing market? Um, as I say, uh, uh, certainly uh, that there is a massive, massive shortage of bed spaces at the end of the market I deal with. I'm not au fait with, uh, you know, the top end stuff, which I know a lot of people are doing now with professionals. Um, but the, the local offer, we turn away probably 20, 30 people a week, and that's just in one borough. Uh, we're currently dealing with five boroughs and have we're putting strategies in place to repeat the model in those boroughs. They're all in the northeast, by the way. So, um, yeah, it, it's 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 certainly a uh, a, a market which is uh, not going to go anyway uh, go go away anytime soon. Which is in, in in some some ways unfortunate because of the client group we do have, but uh, it's just a sign of the times, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing with us today, Kevin. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Christy. Okay, so our first guest there was Andy Bedwell, and he talked about moving to the HMO strategy to allow him to escape that corporate life. And um, what did you pick up as some of the key points that Andy talked about there, Kevin? Well, you know, we finished the last debrief of Kevin talking about time, you know, one strategy being slow, one strategy being quick. And with Andy, you know, he wanted to get out of the uh, corporate life. So he needed an accelerated model. So the buy-to-let model just would have taken too long. So the other thing Andy did was he got the support of a community in a franchise, uh, which was unique and, and it's good for him and it served him well. And if I remember rightly, he's built nine properties and, you know, you can do your own maths and your own estimate of what that would be, but it's a significant sum every month. But what I liked about Andy is the way that he's changed the sort of view of the professional market in building a community, you know, within his own numbers of rooms, you know, connecting one person to another um, and, and seeing how by giving people enriched experience, you know, so seeing you're not just a provider of rooms, you're a provider of an experience, then you've got a real opportunity to make this work and, and have more people actually elegantly refer uh, somebody else whenever you build another HMO or you've got a spare room. And he, the the other thing which I, I liked about Andy's uh, presentation there, as brief as we've got it, but so many lessons to learn, is once he'd built his number of HMOs, you know, he applied the very logic that he'd learned in that business and applied it to another business, which is applying a multi-let theory, which is a kind of an HMO concept, to commercial property and creating multi-let spaces for small businesses to operate as opposed to renting a commercial property to a single tenant. So he's logically applied his intellect and accelerated and done something different 
which gives them more diversification as wealth building. So Andy's a brilliant example of how to do this well. Mm. And then it was really interesting to hear from Chris how he pivoted from the student market to the professional market. And um, he talked about the product being the same, but the service being quite different. It's interesting. You know, I know Chris very well. And um, Chris is a sort of fairly understated guy. And you might not really pick up his brilliance uh, from, you know, he's quite a a low-key gentleman. But if you meet him and you see what he's capable of doing with space, it's absolutely incredible. So he gets massive, massive ROIs on his properties, but he sees it as a business, you know, by referring to it as a product, you heard him say that, then, you know, you can see he feels like this is a business opportunity. It's not a hobby. So Chris is absolutely in business. And the good thing about that is if you were an investor, if you were a part-time hobbyist and you went into student accommodation and then for whatever reason, I know we didn't go into the reasons, but if that didn't work for him, Rather than so, oh, no, woe is me, let's get out of the property market, he said he pivoted. You know, So that was a deliberate and a conscientious change to focus on something else, building on experience and learning and moving on to something else, which is a, you know, then takes him to a higher level. And he did so without moaning and without bemoaning where he's been. He's just saying, hey, this works better for me, let's do that. And this is the other thing that you have to do is, And that links to Kevin's again, be creative, learn what works for you and then change what doesn't work for you and learn something new and adapt to that because you're always learning, you're evolving and moving to bigger and better things. And and that's the same with Andy and the same with Chris. And, And another learning that Chris shared is that if there was one thing he would change looking back, it would be to start growing that team earlier to be able to scale faster. Well, exactly right. And and also I'll reflect back. He said, you know, the, the key thing is the word experience, which, you know, if you link that to Andy's word community, it's back to giving people that are in, you know, as your tenants, uh, as clients or housemates, however you describe them, it's probably good to have a language that you use for that. Then, you know, you can, you can demonstrate that to the people who occupy the property, that it isn't just something you know, that they feel they live in, they feel part of. And if they feel part of something, they're going to look after the property better too. And and team was mentioned again by Kevin, you know, again, treating it as a business with a, a team that can staff the properties 24-7. And um, what, we, what were the key points you picked up on, Kevin, who's looking at the supported living sector? Well, look, this is a niche, isn't it? And it's great to have Kevin on because, you know, he's gone through various iterations in property but he didn't necessarily describe those but like the others you know he's been changing the face of how he's done that and trying to find the solution that for him is a perfect combination of both a business and something to be proud of and giving back to the community and and while it can't be easy to create a sort of a care environment with all the necessary compliance and rules around that Nonetheless, it's just an example of somebody discovering a niche that works for them. And I can attest to the numbers being very profitable, but that profit is not a bad thing because it enables them to do even better to support even more people. So you have to be a certain type of a person to want to get into that. But then we all have our own niches, don't we? We all do what we want to do and we have our own way of seeing that the property is giving something back. It's not just simply a business or simply a set of rooms. And I think that's when it works outstandingly well, when the people see it as a business and see it as an experience 
however they're serving and they see it as that level of service rather than tenants are a pain in the rear, they see their tenants as a, a really strong uh, connection between them and what they're trying to do and who they're trying to serve. And I think these are all great examples. Yeah, and Kevin certainly is serving the community and building that reputation, as you mentioned, with the local authorities, with the police and, and with crisis as well. So doing tremendous work, all three of our guests there. So Kevin, to summarise on the HMO strategy, um, before we perhaps move on next week to a different strategy, and perhaps we will look at service accommodation, which is a, a shorter term letting strategy, isn't it, than HMOs, which tend to be really, you know, homes for people that are unconnected under one roof. Yeah, that's a different strategy. So more of that, I guess, then next week. You know, in summary, you've got to think through is this a stra- definitely a strategy worth looking at? Work out your pros, work out your cons, understand the law, understand the tax position, understand that nobody actually mentioned it, but generally speaking, with HMOs, you know, you're as the owner of the property, you know, you're making an experience. So that experience is you tend to end up paying the bills. Um, but I've seen some wonderful uses of technology uh, to help manage those bills with, you know, automatic. Uh, thermostats and all sorts of different things and keys and all you know so you've got to learn the technology you've got to learn the language you'll learn the tax position and just as importantly work out how many of that strategy will it take you to get to independence so that you don't get caught up with i need to manage the property if you need let's say andy it was nine if you need nine, by the time you get to nine, you're no longer managing those on your own unless you choose to. And then you've got a team behind you. You know, you can delegate that out. And, and certainly that's what we find, that when you know what your strategy is, you know exactly when you're at the point when you can afford to delegate that. So it becomes more hands-off, not passive, but more hands-off later. It never is at the beginning because if you try and delegate everything from the beginning, you won't really understand when it's going wrong. That's a great Great summary for today, Kevin. So we will be moving on to another strategy within the property pillar next week. And it'd be great to get feedback from from those of you that are listening today. If you've got some experiences with HMOs, if you have any questions, then definitely head on over to the Wealth Builders Facebook community. Just search for Wealth Builders in Facebook and uh, join the group if you're not already a member. And um It'd be great to see you there. And of course, we always are so grateful for the reviews that we keep getting on iTunes and and different podcasting platforms. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to, then please do take a couple of minutes and uh, and pop a review. We really, really would appreciate appreciate that, wouldn't we, Kevin? We definitely would. So look forward to seeing you next time, Chris. Thanks, Kevin. See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.